They're speakers, authors, and real-life rock stars, bringing you life-changing thoughts that rock. Taking conversation all the way to 11. Most shows only go to 10. Well, it's one louder, isn't it? These go to 11. To 11. This is Thoughts That Rock. Now, here are your hosts, Jim Knight and Grant Menzoir. Security. That was inappropriate. That was inappropriate. Welcome, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us on Thoughts That Rock, the podcast that is about sharing pieces of life-changing advice squeezed into about two bangers, as they say. It would not have been so creepy if you hadn't been staring at me, well, just piercing through my soul. Uncomfortable eye that. contact is one of my spiritual powers. It is. Yes. It certainly is. Yes. So um, we're going to do some contests starting next year. Now? No, next year. Oh. Don't try and call in right now. Okay. Don't, don't call don't, in. Don't be the 11th caller. Don't call in. But we're going to do some really cool giveaways, and we've been working on some merch, some retail, as we like to say in the business. So keep your ear to the ground. What is it that you say normally? Keep your- Said, listen for the hooves, baby. Listen for the hooves. hooves? Is it hooves? <laughs> hooves? I say hooves. Hmm. Hooves? Hooves? Comet might have something to say. What? What? Yeah. What? Thoughts That Rock helps support Cannonball Kids Cancer and their fight for finding treatment options for kids who've run out of options. We believe they're amazing. We know you will, too. Please go check them out at CannonballKidsCancer.org. Yeah, they're awesome. Listen, we know how busy you are, too. you got a lot of stuff going on and yep. just trying to find a little bit of time to step away and jump into some leadership mindset, whether it's a book or a podcast mm-hmm. or an read. article. Nope. Audiobook for you, sure. Brant, whatever works. Yep. They're hard to come by. We yeah. totally get it, which is why it doesn't really matter what you're doing. Right now, you could be, let's say, building a cabinet. Hey, come here. Or you're hiking up a trail. <laughs> or maybe you're stitching up a ripped kimono. Oh, my finger. It doesn't really matter to us. I'm bleeding. We, we're, we literally are just excited for you to be here. We're about to give you the 20 minutes you've been looking forward to all week. Let's rock. Let's rock. All right. Our guest today is a fantastic... Whoa, whoa, whoa. If we're going to do this, our guest today needs the proper sort of intro. He he does. Now that you say that, he probably does. He does. How about this? Our guest today, six foot two from Elon University, author, speaker, performance coach, he's Alan Stein Jr. I think that's more proper for his background, wouldn't you say? For a basketball performance coach, I I would say so. If you could have seen the lights in the studio, Alan, you would have been very impressed. (laughs) Is he still here? He ran away, didn't he? He has left the show. It's like completely. He is still here. I'm envisioning pyrotechnics and cheerleaders and and dry ice and all sorts of stuff. I love it. It did cost a little bit of money to get all of the cheerleaders up the stairs (laughs) here, but... It was a good intro. It was totally worth it. Totally. So our good friend, Alan Stein Jr., as you heard, he is a massively successful business owner and a veteran basketball performance coach. And Alan spent 15 years working with literally the highest performing athletes on the planet. Mm-hmm. And you, know, you think about NBA superstars like, let's say, Kevin Durant mm-hmm. and Steph Curry and Kobe Bryant. Alan's actually worked with all of them. That's so crazy. first of all, before we start spending a little bit of time talking about your brother, thank you so much for being here. Welcome to Thoughts That Rock. Oh, man, I'm beyond excited. I was pumped up before that intro, and now I'm <laughs> super, super pumped up. I, 
you know, it's, what's really neat is I've been a big fan of both of you guys for a long time. And to finally have a chance to meet you uh, this past fall in Toronto and connect in person, uh, this is truly an honor. And, and love your show. Uh, you guys are really doing some innovative work. So I'm, I'm just happy to be here and talk about some thoughts at Rock. Well, listen, we, we appreciate that. Um, you know, I, I prefer to think of what I do as life-changing and you know, what, what Jim does is, is more practical, tactical stuff. So yes. it, it works well together. You complete me. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I, first off, thank you for that. We're, we're also a fan of yours and it was fun to hang out. I know it was brief up there in, uh, in Toronto for those that don't know, we, uh, we hang out in some speaking circles and every once in a while we get together and, and just talk shop. And uh, that was our first time meeting in person. And, uh, you know, just, just knowing that you're a fan of the show and, and we can talk about your podcast that you just launched as well. But for, for anybody looking a little bit more information on Alan, we're going to have, as we always do, his entire bio posted in the show notes. Mm -hmm. But, you know, just, um, you know, we're, we're thrilled, at, you know, both as a keynote speaker, but also as an author. So Alan has a book out called Raise Your Game, High Performance Secrets from the Best of the Best. And that's where he teaches both corporate and I think sports teams as well on how to perform at a world-class level. So we're, we're going to go through the gambit and talk about a lot of the cool things that you do. But uh, like we said, we're just, we're thrilled and honored that uh, you had a chance to, to stop by. And because you're a fan of the show, you know how this thing works, man. We, um, we, we don't do the traditional interview style where you probably hear in a lot of podcasts where they might go through the entire history and your background. We're, we'll weave some of that stuff in, but we love to get right to the point and uh, have our guests share an awesome piece of advice. So we're going to leave the floor open to you, Alan. What is your thought that rocks? Thoughts that rock, number one. My thought that rocks is that self-awareness is the key to everything we want in life. Yeah, speaking our language, man. Yeah, you are. Love, love that. It. How did you? How does this come across to you? Where did you first start, sort of seeing this come to life with the work you do? You know, I've seen it from two different vantage points. Uh, I've certainly noticed it as a performance coach and, and seen firsthand that the players and coaches that had the highest self awareness were the ones that came the closest to maximizing their own potential. Uh, but I also um, observed it firsthand. Um, Five years ago, when I was going through a divorce, I started going in for some counseling and some therapy, and the therapist I work with was literally a life changer and really helped me uh, see some blind spots and heighten my own self-awareness. And, you know, I'd like to believe I'm a much better man because of that. And I know that, you know, when we look at these things that everyone is searching for in life, you know, whether it's happiness uh, or fulfillment, or success, respect, significance, you name it, all of those things are drastically better in my life now, but I feel I have a higher sense of self. So my, I, I couldn't agree more. And I've spent the majority of the last six or seven years actually teaching corporate teams how to become more self-aware uh, in the collaboration space. When you're working with other people, you have to have self-awareness of how you're communicating, but also self-awareness of others, right? So we, we have to know how yep. they choose as well. But how, how did you start to really dig in to figure out, to give yourself that sort of heightened level of self-awareness? Did you, did you do some uh, exercises that, that sort of got you there? Was something that you had to practice? Or what was it that allowed you to sort of get a better grip as to some of your blind spots? Well, it starts with just a general openness and, and an openness combined with humility and being able to admit that, hey, I do have blind spots. And I'm actually very curious in finding out what those are. Uh, and then it also takes uh, the courage and vulnerability to look inwards and say, you know, self-awareness is not just the things that I do well and, and the things that I enjoy and my goals and my dreams, but you have to have the courage to look on the other side of the curtain and be willing to face your fears and your insecurities, uh, your challenges, your weaknesses. And I, I think well, I don't think. I know firsthand that is really tough internal work to do. Um, but thankfully, I was at a point in my life where I just knew there was something more to, to life, and I was just ready to do that type of work. And, and as you guys mentioned, uh, it is a process. It's not something you just hammer out like it's a homework assignment. It takes a lot of time and a lot of reflection, yeah. and, and in many cases, connecting with those that are closest with you because they're the only ones that can actually see your blind spots. Yeah, you know, it's. I think it's incredible that 
so I was I was listening to your podcast uh, this week and your interview you did with Gary Vaynerchuk and uh, which was great. It was really really great, man. And and I, it's funny this this really resonated because uh, during the interview Gary's talking. You know, Gary plays a lot of pickup basketball. And he's talking about how he has no left hand, right? Yeah. And so he's talking about anybody that, that knows him knows he has no left hand. So he doesn't go to the left. He always goes to the right. And if you're playing any sort of successful defense against him, you're trying to force him to go to his left hand because you know he's not going to be able to do it. And, and I think that that's part of what we're just talking about right here, right? He knew that he had no left hand and, and that was it. And he's just chosen rather than to try to, to, to work on that particular weakness. He just doesn't go there. So he's always going to go to the right. That's what he's going to do. And you know, he's going to do it, but it also sort of allows others who are, who are looking to defend him, uh, that opportunity to say, I I know this is his weakness. And if he doesn't want to go there, that's fine. And he talked about how he made that choice and, and, uh, for his younger brother, AJ, uh, growing up, he really sort of forced him to develop both hands because he knew it was a big weakness for him. And I think that's what, I think we find that a lot with ourselves, right? When we find that, when we have the self-awareness to know that this is really a blind spot, this is really something that is not a strength of ours. We have a choice to make. Do we work on it to be, to become better or do we just choose to go another direction? Right. Absolutely. You nailed that perfectly. And, and, and certainly one could see how detrimental that would be if Gary either didn't know or wasn't willing to admit that he didn't have a good left hand. Mm-hmm. And he's in a game and he's constantly trying to go left because he's oblivious to the fact that that's a weakness. I mean, he would turn the ball over. He would, he would give his team less of a chance of being successful because he's not aware of the fact that he doesn't have that, that, that skill set. And, you know, it really, it, it's, I find it incredibly empowering and inspiring to be able to embrace all of these different areas. You know, I I don't know if you guys were prepared for an Eminem or eight mile reference, but (laughs) one of my favorite parts of that movie and and spoiler alert, sorry, I know it's 20 years old was, you know, the final rap battle where where Eminem basically uh, won the rap battle by admitting all of his own weaknesses and deficiencies and all of the things that the other guy could have said about him. He owned those. And as soon as he owned them, it gave him power. It didn't make those things any less true, but instead of living in fear from them and resisting them and running from them, he just held his head up and acknowledged, hey, this is who I am, and I have these deficiencies and weaknesses, and now that I'm willing to admit it, as you guys said, you can either choose to work on them uh, in the corporate world, you can choose to delegate those to someone else where they might be a strength, but the whole key is just being aware of them. That's right. And this is the whole philosophy right now that uh, Marcus Buckingham has been pushing for probably the last two decades. You know, his his books, particularly when he was working with the Gallup organization, their whole theory is, what's the point in even focusing on your weaknesses? That by the time you're in, let's say, corporate America, you've got all this ingrained because you've learned everything when you were a kid. And, and, you know, as a teenager, you learn everything from school and your parents and your friends and the playground and religion and lack of religion or whatever. When you get to actually taking on a job, yes, you're teachable, you're trainable, you might be open-minded to it, but in a lot of ways they're saying these inherent, let's say leadership characteristics that we talk about, you either have them or you don't. And so Gallup and Marcus Buckingham used to say, you know, now discover your strengths. Just focus only on those things because it'll mask or at least it'll help hide or overpower a lot of those weaknesses. So the goal is if you're leading a team, which you know full well, you've got to go and build that team around making sure that, you know, there aren't there aren't uh, a team. There isn't a team weakness. You've surrounded yourself with people that have different characteristics that can make up a championship team, right? Absolutely. You you said that so perfectly. Uh, And that's basically akin to a jigsaw puzzle. I mean, you look at a jigsaw puzzle, which I tend to do rather often because I've got young kids. Uh, You know, every piece is a different size, shape, and color. And you need each and every one of those different pieces to form the final collage. So no one piece has everything that you need. They, they all have to work together. And that's where uh, if, if the three of us were on a team together, you know, something that, that may be a weakness of mine would certainly hopefully be a strength uh, of one of you guys. And then as a good teammate, I would want to, you to play in your strength zone and for you to do the things that, that you do well. And then, of course, you guys would want me to do the same. And then when we're all uh, in our strength zone playing to our strengths, 
and together collectively we're we're rather formidable. So how do you do that? I mean, as as Brant was saying, if if you're working, let's say, with a Gary V. So I mean, first off, you shared some some personal stuff in there and how this could apply that way. But your your business life, if you're a a basketball performance coach, how do you get people to be more self aware? so that they can understand we want to get everything we can in life. How do you go and build that? Because I, I see all these pictures of you with your arm around everybody and anybody that's in in the NBA. And I go, you know, there, there's something that you're bringing to the table. And if this is your big thought, I have to believe that you're, you're imparting these words of wisdom to them as well, right? Oh, very much so. But the cool part was those were really lessons, even though I was the coach, quote-unquote coach, uh, this whole self-awareness, those were lessons those guys taught me and taught oh, really? me how powerful it is, yeah, to know to know yourself and, and, and in this case with basketball players, uh, to know your game. And, you know, we kind of say in jest when I'm talking with coaches that uh, a player that takes a bad shot, okay, that's a little bit frustrating, but a player that takes a bad shot and doesn't know that it was a bad shot, now you have a major problem on your hands yeah. because they're going to continue to repeat that behavior and the team's chance of being successful will go down accordingly. So uh, what I found about uh, with being around the highest performers in the world is they actually crave coaching, and they crave feedback. You know, they want people in their life that can help them, to, you know, refocus the lens and tighten the screws and get a little bit better. And when you get to the elite of the elite levels, um, you know, a Kobe Bryant or a Kevin Durant, you've drastically decreased the pool of people yep. that can give you proper feedback and coaching because you're so good. Yep. You know, when we're, when any of us are a novice in something in the beginning, you know, most people could probably help us get a little bit better. But as you continue to hone your craft, that pool becomes very, very, very small. So they're often uh, reaching out to look for people to coach them and to see their blind spots and to help them gain more self-awareness. And, yeah. and that's one thing I want to make sure your listeners know, that even though it says self and the self-awareness, you very much need the input of others to improve that self-awareness. Because even if you can admit that you have blind spots, you still can't see them. That's why they're blind spots. That's so right. you need people that can help you with that. Yeah, you know, I think it's... So, so it's the same with CEOs, right? When you, when you get to this level of success, uh, the amount of people who have the courage to say to you, Hey, here's a blind spot shrinks significantly because they're afraid oh, yeah. they're going to be excommunicated either from the business or from the team or, you know, all of a sudden now they're like, you know, who do you think you are to tell me how to, how to, uh, run this business? And in reality, you're just trying to point out some of the, those blind spots that, that they might be able to find people to step in to help sort of get, fill the gaps of where those things are. You know, I look at, you know, I think it's interesting. So I look at a player like Kyrie who, who, you know, as a, as a Celtics fan, lifelong Celtics fan, big expectations and it just it sort of was a failed experiment and and uh you know now he's off uh with brooklyn and and having a much better year but the minute kd comes back everything is going to change and every you know it's not going to be his team it's not going to be Kyrie's team and 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 so how do we have not just the self-awareness to know but also the the willingness to say I need this person next to me to really make this a better experience, to make it a stronger team. I mean, look, you know, at first I thought, you know, LeBron and Anthony Davis, what is that going to look like? But here they are at this moment at what, 15 and two or something Mm -hmm. like that. They got the best record in the NBA and they're actually, you know, LeBron's having like a, a career year, in assists, which, which is just amazing to me to, to watch this guy. Um, but it, but it comes with knowing what he's good at and also what his teammates are good at and how can he get the most out of that? And I think that's what Jordan really brought to the table as well. It wasn't just that he was amazing. It's that he knew he needed to have these other players on the team to get the most out of his own skill set when he was working together. Boom, that is a mic drop moment right there because you just nailed that perfectly. And and I think many times, uh, whether in the corporate world or in basketball, uh, it takes a certain level of maturity to reach that level. Uh, you know, you have to remember, too, that when it, when it comes with these basketball guys, you know, Kyrie, someone I met when he was probably 16 years old, you know, um, when we're, most of us are younger, we're heavily driven by ego. Uh, we're heavily driven because we have so many insecurities that we almost have to take on this 
this alpha male persona and puff out our chest and act like we have no weaknesses and, and we're the best at everything. Uh, and I think only through some maturity can you realize that. And, and you said it, you know, I think Jordan had to really uh, reach a certain level of maturity to acknowledge he was not going to win a championship just by himself. Right. Even averaging 50 points a game, right. that was not going to happen. So at some point, he had to shift his priorities and he had to make sure that his beliefs and his behaviors were in alignment. And if he really and truly, if winning was the most important thing, then he had to be willing to concede in some other areas to let other people play their role. And that's when winning started to take place. And, and I think you'll see, I think we're seeing the same thing with LeBron. Um, and I'm, I'm hoping because I, I've always really liked Kyrie. He's one of the best people that I've ever met. Uh, I really hope that, that he has that same maturity and says, you know what? I need KD in order to win. I'm going to do what I do well, and I'm going to be a great teammate and support what he does well, and, and together we're going to make some magic. And, and I hope that happens. You know, a lot of times in professional sports, these guys talk about winning being the most important thing, but it's not. You can see by their behavior that either getting paid is more important or their personal stats are more important. Mm-hmm. And they can, they, they've learned to say the right things to the media but it's clear when you say that winning is the most important and then you leave to go to another team that's got less of a chance to win but is going to pay you twice as much, yeah. that, that clearly that's not the main driver. So we always have to have our beliefs and our behaviors in perfect alignment in order for us to be successful. And the only way you can do that is with self-awareness. Yeah. You know, isn't it amazing that when you do it well and, and you are actually amplifying your teammates' Uh, abilities, right? And I think that that's sort of the more self-aware you are of yourself, the better chance you have of amplifying others. And so, you know, I, I look at at these these Bulls teams from the '80s. Um, that yes, you've got superstars like Jordan. Yes, you've got Scottie Pippen. But I, I, you know what really blew me away was like, I, I'm reminded of the three-headed monster, right? So you've got like Will Perdue and you've got Cartwright. You've got, you've got people who are not all-stars. They are not household names. In fact, I couldn't even name you all three of them at this point, but I, I, I knew right. them as the three-headed monster. But they actually stepped up their games. They actually got in and filled the roles that needed to be filled at a level that they could do it together collaboratively as a team. And um, and I think that's one of the most important things that when we, we think of self-awareness as really being a, a personal, maybe selfish thing, but in reality, it's the level of self-awareness that allows you to have others step up and fill those gaps mm-hmm. to get what you need. And that, to me, is what I remember the most about those teams. It wasn't Jordan and Pippen. You knew what you were going to get from them every night. But man, that three-headed monster was like, some nights they were great, other nights they, one of the three had to step up and do a better job. And I think that comes from knowing who you are and what you do well. Would you agree with that? Oh man, absolutely! Another you guys are just full of tremendous insight, man. You <laughs> nailed that, and and really the Bulls, I mean, they kind of they set the template for the future in the NBA because soon after the San Antonio Spurs followed a very similar mold of uh, we don't need a team of superstars, we need a team of puzzle pieces. And yeah. yes, in order to win in the NBA, one or two of those puzzle pieces needs to be an elite level superstar, but everybody else is actually better if they're not. Because you, you get so many headaches and you deal with too many egos and too yep. much selfishness yep. if everyone is a superstar. So when you get a guy that says, hey, all we need you to do is defend and rebound, that is your job. And if you do that to the best of your ability, we have a good chance of winning. Yep. And over here, uh, we have your job is to be a playmaker and to knock down open threes. That's all we need you to do. You're not going to be on ESPN the next day. We just need you to knock down open shots. Yep. And if you can do that, and you can do that, and you can do that, we have a chance of being really, really good. Yeah. And the, the Spurs ended up following that. Uh, I mean, to some degree, Golden State followed the same recipe. Yeah. And yes, they ended up accumulating a few more stars than that, but their initial recipe was built puzzle pieces. And, you know, let's, let's not get it twisted. The reason that most people still consider Jordan the best player of all time is because he won. Yeah. He won six championships. That's right. If Jordan didn't win any championships, no one would ever have this conversation. That's right. So one thing that's important for everyone to know, you, when you are on a team, whether a corporate organization or a sports team, your value goes up 
when the team does well. Yes. You know, if, if you're looking for certain personal accolades, the best way to achieve those is by making everyone around you better so that the team rises up together. Yeah. So true. You know, this you were mentioning before about maturity as well and, and the self-awareness that everybody on the team, or again, probably the, the work that we do more than anything else is in the business world. So, you know, to put it into that context, everybody on that team has to be clearly, crystal clear aware of what their strengths and weaknesses are. And I was just thinking back, I, I remember when I moved from being, and I've shared this on the show before, you know, it's a pretty hardcore trainer. You know, I, I gave a lot of tests. I held people to a, you know, a very high standard. If they missed the test by a certain percentage or if they were five minutes late, like I was sending people home. And when you're in a corporate environment and you're a kid as a trainer and that's your sphere of influence, you know, there, there's probably some immaturity there. You know, you, you're on cloud nine, but you feel like, boy, you know, this is what happened to me. So I'm going to make sure that they go through the same gauntlet. But it changes when you become a leader. And I think my first year, I was I was still probably more of a doer, very tactical. I had a, a, a lot of low-level initiatives that I could just bust out. And, uh, and that was my background. And I always felt comfortable with that. But I was not strong in, I think you know, about the long-term initiatives, you know, these, these things that were time consuming, but that strategic planning, the strategic thinking needed to be in play when you start to lead a team. And I think I had to probably have somebody whisper in my ear to say, listen, you're not thinking or doing enough in the strategic thinking arena. You've got to get better at that. And each year it shifted me to do a little bit more. And I knew that that was important. So I think the point that you're trying to make is if you're self-aware and I was aware that once I became a team leader, I had to focus on some things that were going to remove me from actually doing things to doing more of inspiring and motivating and thinking and sitting back and thinking strategic long term. And and again, that required some maturity because I was frustrated. It wasn't always going to be the way that I could get it done. And so I wanted to roll up my sleeves and jump in. And instead I had to take a different tack. So, you know, I know we're using a lot of sports analogies here and, and you probably get a chance to still do that. But I think now I love using sports or in our world, we use a lot of music and band and oh, yeah. brand analogies that everybody goes through the same thing. If they were just a little bit more self-aware, I think that you'd have a much more harmonious team, number one, and you're definitely going to get the Herculean results that, that you were probably intending in the first place. Absolutely. And that's why, you know, I, I love talking about this uh, because it has such high utility. Uh, whether you're talking about the, the music space or the sports space or the corporate space, you know, uh, self-awareness is a common theme and thread through all of them. And, yeah. You know, there's not a musician on the planet that wouldn't get better having heightened self-awareness and you could say the same thing for any performer, uh, whether it's a, you know, I know we were talking about some Netflix shows before you hit record, you know, same thing for an actor, you know, an actor needs to know what it is that they do well and, and what it is that they don't so that they can continue to play roles that play to their strengths. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't mean that they don't try to, to challenge themselves or maybe take on a role that is a little bit of a stretch. I mean, we all need to do that. I mean, we, we all do that in the speaking world, but um, generally speaking, if you don't have the awareness, then you can't even make that distinction and right. you can't even strategically decide what's a good, a good move for you. And, you know, that was another thing that I learned being around these high performers, you know, a guy like Kobe Bryant would make time to go sit with, uh, first of all, an athlete of another sport. Like he would make time to go hang out with Tom Brady so that he could learn what does Tom Brady do to prepare to be excellent. But then he would even cross over into your guys' world. He would spend time with Justin Timberlake and Beyonce to learn what they do to prepare so that they can perform at the highest level. So high performers know uh, that that the traits and habits and mindsets and rituals that they need to do to be their best, they transcend any industry and any boundary. Is is Tom Brady a basketball player? I've never heard. This <laughs> you, is Brand's guy. He probably, do you know? probably could be. I imagine if he took his focus and his work ethic and his his ability to prepare, he could probably be pretty decent in anything that he wanted. But he's found his niche and he's found his love. Yeah. Do you know what Tom Brady has to do every day to make sure he's the greatest? Wake up. Wake up, baby. That's all he's got to do. The goat. Yeah. Well, you're, and you're look to his left and see who's sleeping next to him. Look, that's it. You know, that's right. That too. 
Well, listen, that is th- that is awesome, and I think um, you know it, it probably fits in perfectly with our corresponding thought that uh, you know you could probably look at this one and think this is more personal, but uh, I, I think it fits for both personal and professional. It fits in perfectly with the self awareness. So, Brant, share with everybody what is our thought that rocks. Thoughts that rock number two. Our thought that rocks this week. Um, harkens back to something I think we've referred to in several shows in the past, but but we've never really had a chance to focus on it. So our thought that rocks is the platinum rule, which is treat others the way they want to be treated. I think most of us grew up with the golden rule mm-hmm. of treating others as we treat ourselves. But but what we've realized, especially sort of in the field, and really what we're talking about today is emotional intelligence, right? And so emotional intelligence is really broken down into self-awareness and social awareness. And and that's really what this includes is the second half of that, which is the social awareness of knowing how others want to be treated. And instead of assuming that because we prefer to be treated a certain way, that's how they want to be treated, we actually have to be open open enough to listen and know how they choose. And this is what, you know, the work we do with banding people together um, is really focused here, right? It's focused on the idea of not just having self-awareness, but you have to have the awareness of how others choose to communicate, what their collaborative strengths are and allow those to shine. And I think that that's, um, you know, interesting enough, we talked about sort of self-awareness in music. I think the best probably example of that would be in jazz, um, which I'm not a fan of. However, I am a fan of the ability that you never really hear. If you if you go and watch some really great jazz players, you're never overwhelmed by a wall of sound. Mm-hmm. There's always space for everyone to be present. And I think that that is what separates great jazz players from everybody else is that they don't need to overplay. They're not constantly going back to the amplifier, turning themselves up. They're not, you know, they don't need to turn themselves up because everyone is self-aware of what's going on and they're aware of their volume and they're aware when it needs to, to come up a little bit and settle down a little bit. And, and they're intuitive. Like, you know, when no it's question. time for the uh, bass solo, like everybody else just sort of leans back a little bit, lets that happen. That's self-awareness. It, I, I love it. It's, it comes back to even one of our first episodes with Brett Culp saying, yeah. saying that, you know, he, as, as a leader, you have to hold space for people right and it's the same thing as a great teammate or bandmate you have to hold space for people you can't be stepping on their stuff you can't be turning yourselves up so that you you know you're heard louder than them you have to hold space and allow that space to to be present so that people can fill it and and i think that that's the same thing here um, it's one thing to be self-awareness uh, self-aware of your own actions but you also have to choose to learn how others prefer to be communicated with so that you can modify your own behavior to get that deeper level of result, which is all we've tried to do at banding for six or seven years is get people to understand that. And I would imagine Alan, that that's the same sort of thing I've heard um, in some of your talks as well. You talk about the importance of being present, right? And, and how really that's the only, that's the only moment you can control. Uh, and and yeah. if, if you have the self-awareness to know that you're in the presence, then you can make some really good decisions. But if you're constantly living in the past or the future, um, you jeopardize your ability to, to, to influence that next decision. Oh, absolutely. And I'm so glad you guys live by and endorse the platinum rule because it's, it's one that I do as well. And I certainly share that with my corporate audience and teams, but it's one that, that I've deeply implanted in my own young children. Um, you know, on a, on a personal level, if you learn to treat others the way they want to be treated, I mean, you'll, you'll just be a human magnet. You will attract mm-hmm. the best people to your life because it is a very attractive trait. And, and I think one could make an argument that treating others the way they want to be treated could kind of be coined leadership 101. Right. I mean, I was taught as a very young coach that the number one coaching mantra is saying, it's not about me. It's about you. Mm-hmm. That every coach should be able to look at every player they work with and say, hey, this is not about me. This is about me making you the best that you can be. And that's really what, what leadership is. And, you know, I know that we have all of these different assessments out there. You've got DISC and you've got, you know, all sorts of things that, that show different types of personalities and different types of learning styles and different ways people feel appreciated. And to me, uh, knowing the specifics, that's phase two. Phase one is just acknowledging the fact that everyone's not like me. 
that, that everyone doesn't learn the way I learn or, or you know, uh, you can't speak to everyone the way you can speak to me. And, and, and that's really where I think the golden rule falls a little bit short is we make this assumption that the way I like to be treated is how everyone else does. And that's yeah. simply not the case. And, you know, what one example I use, and, and you guys can probably appreciate this since we're all around the same age, you know, when we were kids, you, you could divide every kid into two categories. You have a kid that could take a Tylenol pill, and then you have a kid that had to have it smashed up and put in applesauce. Uh, it really didn't matter which kids you were, but the key was having a parent or a guardian that knew which kids you were and could deliver the Tylenol the way that you preferred it so that you would take your medicine and you would feel better. And that's really how I view leadership. Uh, my job is to decide whether or not someone can take the Tylenol pill or whether or not I need to smash it up in applesauce. But either way, I'm going to do what they prefer, not what I prefer. I love that. It's funny. It it goes back also, I think, to your self-awareness. I mean, uh, and and once they realize where where they are, whether they need it crushed up or they can take it without having the gag reflex, you know, trying to take a pill, then I I think they're in a better better place. You you were talking about assessments, though. You know, you're right. We've seen all of those. We could list off four or five right now, but I will say this. The the type of assessment that I do love that kind of goes back and it ties both of these together are the 360 degree assessments because, you know, when you're doing an an assessment on specific leadership areas, it might be around planning or strategic thinking or, or teamwork or whatever, you know, what helps out from a self-awareness is when you do these assessments where your boss is doing one, which is traditionally the only type of feedback you get right in the business world. It's 180 degrees, one direction. But if you got that person's feedback plus feedback from your direct reports, plus feedback from your peers, people that are on a, on a level playing field, maybe even your friends, your spouses, and even when you take it and you put all that into an organized assessment, and let's say let, let's say you think that you're really good at communication, but these 10 other people say you suck at communication, you probably <laughs> suck at communication, you know? That, that's part of the yeah. awareness. And so I think the first year that I took one, because all that stuff is anonymous, except I think your boss on these 360s, you always need to know what he or she is thinking. But in general, it's pretty frustrating. It'll freak you out the first time that you get the report. But then if you start doing it every single year, preferably with the exact same people, you will know whether you get better at treating people a certain way, the way that they want to be treated, not just the same old, same old leadership or lack of leadership that you've been doing for years. So, you know, I agree with you. I do think some of these assessments are... They, they take a snapshot at specific areas, and they're not always helpful. It's just a tool. But the ones that I think Very that true. absolutely rock are the 360s because then I think you're getting much more data than just one direction. And if you can take that with uh, the way that it was intended, use it as a tool to say, I want to get better in this area. And if you're serious about it, you will have much better self-awareness. Absolutely. You know, two thoughts come to mind. I love that you brought that up. One, is, as comical as it sounds, if I admitted that my communication sucks and 10 other people said my communication sucks, that actually means I had very high self-awareness because mm-hmm. there's alignment between what I'm lacking and what other people see me as lacking. And that then and only then am I going to be able to make the progress to improve my communication. So uh, that's where that self-awareness comes into play. And I, I do, I think that's vital. And, and as you can see, uh, it takes a humility. Uh, it takes, the ability to be coachable and allow yourself to be vulnerable to expose yourself to a 360-type um, evaluation and review. But yeah. to me, the most empowering mindset we can have as human beings would be, in this case, we'll keep using this scenario, I do not have any control over what these 10 people are going to put in this performance review. But I and I alone have sole control over what I'm going to do with their feedback. Right. And uh, I can be open to using it to move me forward and develop and get better, or I can blame, complain, point fingers, make excuses, deflect, and I'll stay exactly where I am, or in many times actually regress. So I hope folks don't get caught up in the fact that they don't control what other people think or the feedback other people give, but they always control how they're going to use it and utilize it. And to me, that is incredibly empowering. A hundred percent. Yeah. It's... I'm still getting over this thought in my head of a Jim having his medicine crushed up and fed to him in applesauce. <laughs> 
like a mom. Like a, like a baby, like a mother bird chewing the food before she gives it to her babies. Um, but uh, I actually can can I can swallow horse pills. I got no problem. I take it without water. People oh, freak out. Here we go. Here he goes flexing now. I take horse pills without water. Um, that's my next. Thought. That's fine. That's his next book: horse pills without water. Uh, it's you know. I, so one of the things that we do, I think, is really interesting. Uh, one of the exercises when you when you do uh, say a half day training with with banding people together, they uh, do an exercise called words matter. And what we basically do is we break people into four corners based on their collaborative voice. Uh, and, and there are four different types, similar to a disc. Uh, there are four different types of collaborative voices and, and how we choose to communicate. And so it's a great tool. What we do, it, what we do is we, we uh, have them rewrite the lyrics to a verse of a song. So we, we, pick a fam- mm. we pick a famous song, we put it up on the screen, and we say, listen, this is what we want. We want you to rewrite this lyric. We want you to say, express the same exact thing that it already does, but we want you to use your words. Um, don't use these words. Say it how you would say it. And what's incredibly interesting is even though everyone gets the same exact uh, sort of uh, orders, here, here's what we want, yep. the same instructions. Uh, when you ask them to do it and you walk away and, and, and when they're done, you read the four rewrites of the verse. They are completely different. They express different ideas, different results. And and y- you gave everybody the same exact instructions. But because we choose to communicate differently, because we choose to focus on different things, the words that we use matter. And and it's oh, yeah. it's something that when you look at sort of this idea of treating others the way they want to be treated, you know, you'll look at one corner, uh, very results focused, very black and white, very cost benefit, um, direct language. They, they'll, they'll use half the amount of words because they don't have time to be bothered to, to try to write more. Um, in another corner, they're using metaphors and, uh, you know, it's all puppies and rainbows Mm -hmm. and, and they're focusing on all the positives in another corner. They don't change anything because they want to have consensus before they write anything down on the board. And so they're really struggling. And in the other corner, they won't even move because they've got 50 questions to ask before um, they even get started on the project. And that's just how we choose what our preferred style of working together is. And so when I look at this, understanding how you prefer is one thing, but understanding how others as well and understanding that they're going to express themselves in ways that have different results and uh, the words they use might take people down different paths. And it's part of why you want them on your team is because the way that I choose to express something might not resonate with everyone on the team. And that's why we need to have other voices, right? We need to amplify those voices so that we have the best chance of people understanding uh, the clarity of the situation, what their roles and goals are uh, if we're going to, to win a championship. And I think ultimately whether you're uh, at work on a sports team, uh, the goal is to win. The goal is to win. It might not, it might not be, uh, or I should say this, Everybody should want to win, right? That's yeah. my big thing. They should want to win. And if you win or lose, that's, that's, a different, that's a different argument for a different day. But everybody should want to win. And if you want to win, you've got to be aware of your own actions and aware of how, how others differ from you. Another mic drop moment there. And that's why, you know, that's why diversity is so important. We want to get so many different perspectives and voices and ways of viewing stuff. But man, you, you guys are so... So prolific and innovative. I, I need to attend one of your workshops because that, that just blew my mind right there. I'm, I'm going to go rewrite some song lyrics. Um, all-time favorites, probably Ice Ice Baby by Vanilla Ice. So I'm going to rewrite that go. and I'll email that to you guys later. Um, it's hard to improve know, on perfection. You thought in my head. <laughs> Absolutely. It's, it's hard to top all Mr. Ice. Um, but two things jump into my mind. One, with, with this whole treating others the way they want to be treated. You know, I found working with basketball players, there were – you could put most players into one of two categories. Uh, those that you could openly correct and, and add constructive comments to in front of their peers mm-hmm. and those that was best done behind closed doors. Uh, now, this is not about not holding someone accountable, but there were some players that if they weren't playing well, you could get on them hard and rip them a new one in front of their peers, and they would respond very favorably. And yet there were other players, and these some of these were elite-level players, 
that would actually recoil and the performance would suffer. Those are the type of players that you need to put an arm around them after practice and have more of a one-on-one private conversation. So as a basketball coach, it's important to know which player is which. Uh, and, a, and a pretty practical application for, um, you know, in the corporate world, since we're all inundated with emails, you know, uh, I'm a relationship guy. I'm an over-communicator. You know, I, I could send you guys an email that would probably need chapters because I like to, to express myself. Well, if you guys prefer just the quick bullet points of who, what, when, then, then I'm not speaking your language. When I send right. you this three-page email, I'm not speaking your language. So what's most important is if I learn, you know, Jim, you just want the who, what, and the when, then my emails to you are never longer than three sentences. They give you the info that you need and get out. And yeah. even though I would prefer to communicate much more thoroughly, that doesn't matter because it's not about me. It's about you. And, mm-hmm. and just these minor little things, well, and I shouldn't say minor because uh, they're incredibly important, but these little things add up to make a huge difference when you do them over time. Yeah, agreed. Well, it ties the two thoughts together. I mean, Brant, like you're talking about, if, if you treat others the way that they want to be treated, then you become more self-aware. That's right. It's, it's like yeah. the point you were talking about in the exercise. I just... I remember I um, I was lucky enough to open up a restaurant in the Dominican Republic a few years ago. And I was, while we were there, we would go out every once in a while with the executive team. And we went to have dinner at this local place. It was called Jellyfish. I remember the name of the restaurant. It was cool. It was a seafood restaurant. It was right on the ocean. When we walked in, they were playing Caribbean music. You know, it was like reggae and merengue and pachata and whatever was local there. And there were probably six or eight other parties, but about halfway through the meal, what I discovered is that the music had began to shift to more eighties and classic rock stuff that I loved. Mm. And at some point I, I noticed that I started humming and so did one of the the directors of operation. Here we are at, by the end of the meal, we're belting out journey and don't stop believing <laughs> and all this stuff. And so I asked the, uh, the manager, uh, uh, you know, he's a local guy. I asked him, I said, what radio station is this while I'm here? I'd love to be able to tune in and listen. This is a great radio station because I've only heard that island music on just about every other station. And, and what he told me just sort of blew me away. He goes, it's not. It's satellite radio. And I purchased it specifically for this moment. You talk about treating people the way that you want to be treated. He had noticed at some point that I was an American. And he said, that, you know, here's the perfect time, the right moment to switch to customize the experience. And so... It just it it made it so much more fun for me, and we stuck around and had desserts and coffee, and we went back several times. I've sent a lot of people to the restaurant. I'm talking about it on a podcast. I write about that experience in my book, and my point was this person just became keenly aware that this is what I could do. It was the personalized, customized, mm-hmm. individualized experience, which I know you also talk about in your sessions. He treated me the way that I want to be treated, and so from that, that awareness that he had just completely rocked my world. And so, you know, I I personally am an experiential starved consumer. Like when I go to eat, drink, shop, stay, play, wherever it is, I'm looking for people to do stuff like that. And when you can treat me like I want to be treated, what you get with me is loyalty. And I'm not the only one. I mean, all three of us are probably like that. I'll, I'll stay forever. Absolutely. I mean, how cool is that? What, what on, on the surface appears to be a very minor change, literally a switch of the dial to change music, is something that had a pretty profound effect on you and, and, and you know how influential you are. You're in front of hundreds of thousands of people, both with your show and on stages. And hundreds, you're telling that story sure. over and over. <laughs> because it, it had such an impact on you. And, and to me, this is a key takeaway for anyone listening that's in business because as the world, as we all know, is shifting towards automation and digitization and and AI, the chance for us to do these personal touch points and to create these little customized experiences, they're they're more valuable now than they've ever been. Yeah. And you know, I, I talk all the time about, you know, it, it takes you thirty seconds to handwrite someone a note. And a handwritten note today is more valuable than it's ever been. Yeah. Because they're there is we talk about that shrinking pool earlier. It's the same thing. We all receive much less mail in our regular mailbox and a lot more mail in our email inbox. And that gives an opportunity now for us to swim against the current and to do something different. And these do not have to be large, you know, grandiose, time-consuming, money-consuming things. This guy just switched the dial on a satellite radio That's station. It. 
Yeah. That's it. And it had a profound impact on you. So I think as leaders, if we continue to heighten our self-awareness and the social awareness of those around us, we should be looking for every opportunity we have to put these little customized touch points to speak other people's language. And if so, we will attract the best people in our lives and we'll certainly attract loyal uh, evangelistic type customers and clients to our business. Well, you're speaking our language, brother. We, we, we love everything that you're doing. And I know we talked a little bit about the podcast at the uh, top of the show, which is called the Raise Your Game Show, which matches up to your book as well. Where, where can people stay connected with you, Al? If they want to get a hold of you to either book you to speak or get your book or listen to the podcast, like, uh, where, where do you want us to send them? Uh, you can go to alanstonejr.com. That's the hub of everything. Uh, if they are interested in the book, they can go to raiseyourgamebook.com. Uh, and like you guys, I try to be very active on social, and I'm just at Alan Stein Jr. Uh, on all of the social channels and, and love engaging with folks. Certainly love following your guys' work. You guys inspire me beyond belief, but, but love having chats with folks. So if anyone listening to this, if something resonated, you know, hit me up on social and let's keep this conversation going. Yeah, and and let's keep it going with us too, man. We love everything you're doing. It's a mutual love affair over here, man. We're just we're so thrilled that you took a moment to give us a, a couple words of wisdom, and uh, we look forward to hanging out with you soon. Well, I tell you what, I'm just I, it's very humbling for me that I get the bronze medal for coolest hair uh, when I'm with you guys because usually I get the coolest hair on most shows that I'm on, and I got to take home the third place ribbon today because you guys rock. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. awesome. Hey, we can talk hair care products anytime. <laughs> We'll do that. We'll do that on the side. I love it. Take care, guys. All right, buddy. Rock on. Hey, rock stars. Thanks so much for tuning in. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe to make sure you don't ever miss an episode. And if you're interested in having Brant or me or both of us speak at your event, we're exclusively represented by Kepler Speakers, the industry's leading resource for booking conference keynotes. To start your unforgettable experience, go to KeplerSpeakers.com. Until next time, rock Rock on. You've got questions, we've got answers. Business leadership, ownership, and sales can be challenging. Tune into the Accelerate Your Business Growth podcast to learn from the world's experts. Join me, your host, Diane Helbig, as I chat with people who have expertise in various areas of business. You'll enjoy the lively conversations that are focused on providing you with the ideas, tips, and suggestions you need to realize greater success. Get what you need for your business when you need it from the people who have the answers. Accelerate Your Business Growth is part of the Evergreen Podcast Network and is available on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast.